Super excited we get to be together. And uh, if you're part of the Crossroads family, I am so excited you're on with us. If you're brand new, welcome. Welcome. And you know what? We're hoping maybe one day we could be family together. But uh, beyond that, I want to say this. Uh, this Friday night, we have something super excited we want you to be on. It's called At the Movies. So all the month of July on Friday night, we are going to have a time gathering together at 5 p.m., 7 p.m., 9 p.m. to do At the Movies. So what is that? Well, if you're brand new, it's one of the favorite things we do at Crossroads. It's a creative way to get into God's Word. We take a movie and show how that illustrates what God's Word is teaching you. It creates amazing discussion. It's a fun way to be together. And uh, by the way, each one of these, I believe, will be family friendly, at least for some of your older children. So I want to have you be a part of that. I want to ask you to do something else. Have a virtual watch party. Now, what does that mean? It means invite your family, invite your friends, even in different geographical locations. Uh, so a bunch of you who are single, invite all your single friends. Uh, those of you who are family, family friends, uh, invite your friends and, and say, well, let's watch at the same time. So maybe five o'clock, seven o'clock, nine o'clock on Friday. You all watch at the same time. Maybe, maybe eat the same food. And, and you know what? Then you can discuss what you learn together. So I want to share in this time with you. It's going to be a blast every Friday night at the movies. You go to our website, crossroadschurch.com. Click on it there. You can get into it. Uh, crossroadschurch.family on the internet. Click there. You can get into it. Friday night, at five, seven, nine, every week a different movie, every week an incredible message, every week an opportunity to have incredible discussion about God's truth. So that's coming, that's coming this Friday night, all the Friday nights in July. Then something else, if you're in this local area on Saturday, July the 4th, at 10 a.m., we are going to be a part of a unity march. Dr. Rodney Kiles, who's a black pastor here in our area, and he pastors a brand new diverse church, an amazing church called the Assembly. He asked if we would uh, be willing to partner with them and host them. This is their march, but we're uniting in this unity march with them. And Dr. Kiles is inviting us to be a part of being part of something positive and not negative. Uh, being a part of something that brings unity and not division, uh, that calls out to God for healing and calls out to the church to stand for hope. And so we want to support him in that. I will be there. Pam will be there. We want you to come again, bring your kids. And what we're going to do is we're going to gather together. I want you to hear from Dr. Rodney Kyles. Man, this guy's awesome. And, and then we're going to walk in a way that says to our community, let's walk with God. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's unite together. Together, uh, and cross racial lines and racial barriers to be a part of something positive and un unified and to make a big difference. So this Saturday, 10 a.m., man, I'll be there. I hope to see you too. I believe we need it. By the way, if you do, do this, but we need positive. We need positive. Put it in the chat right now. Positive, not negative. Uh, unity, not division. Put that in the chat and we're going to be a part of that together because right now our country is hurting. The world is watching. Um, and we're in the midst of a real crisis. I mean, we're in an economic crisis. We're in a medical crisis with the COVID crisis. And then we're watching right now um, racial divide that has been there because of a sin of racism that has kind of boiled to the surface and exploded. And the pain is real. The fear is real. The anger is a little out of control right now. And, you know, it's a time for us to go to what matters. And what do we want to do at a time when there's racial divide? 
at a time like this, we need to go to God's word. So we're going to do that all this month. Uh, we're going to talk about what Jesus did and what Jesus calls us to do to actually cross the racial divide and create racial reconciliation because racism's a sin. It's a sin. And it's one that Jesus didn't like, one he fought against, and it's one of the sins he died for. Now, I want you to know if you're in law enforcement right now, I want to be clear and I'm not going to mitigate even a little. If you're one of the people who are a part of our law enforcement, our police, our sheriffs, any other kind of law enforcement, we are for you. We're supportive of you. You can know Crossroads is behind you. We pray for you. We have your back. We pray for your families. Because I know some of you right now who are in law enforcement, it's really, really hard. And uh, we don't want you to think we're not for you in this time. We don't want you to think we don't care about you. We do. But I want you to know that we know something's true. The vast majority of police officers then, or any kind of law enforcement officers, they do this because they want to make a difference for the good and not the bad. The majority of you are great people. The ones who go to the Crossroads Church, our church, are part of our church family, man, I know you guys. I know you do what you do because you love God, because you want to protect anyone from harm. I know you protect and serve. And so I want all of you to know we've not forgotten that. We won't forget you. But all the Crossroads family, including our law enforcement, I think you agree, it's a time to make a change. A change so that people can come together. A change for those who feel like they are been uh, pushed down and not lifted up. A change for those who do not feel valued. It's time for us to do that. And so we want to do that together. And so all month, we're going to talk about it. Tonight, we're going to kick off the series uh, with one of my favorite pastors on staff. Uh, it's Pastor Lauren Janetsky, who used to be Pastor Lauren Matt. She just got married. She's a newlywed, you guys. And she is so intelligent. She is so sharp. She is so wise. She's a part of our teaching team. And we believe right now, this is the best person to have us begin to deal with how we cross the racial divide and come together so that we can be one in Christ. So I want you right now to welcome Pastor Lauren as she brings the word. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, and thank you, Crossroads family. It's an honor and very humbling to bring you the first message in this most important series. On May 25th, 2020, George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man, was killed during an arrest in Minneapolis, Minnesota. On May 26, 2020, a book called A Credible Witness by Brenda Salter McNeil arrived on our doorstep. And around 35 AD, shortly after the death of Jesus, a Roman soldier arrived on the Apostle Peter's doorstep. Why did this book arrive? Who is Brenda Salter McNeil? What part does Peter have to play? And what does all of this have to do with George Floyd's death? My best friend, Tawny, ordered this book prior to anything happening surrounding George Floyd. Her heart had been slowly turning towards the things that break God's heart. And she had been learning and on a quest to figure out more, more about injustice and poverty racial tension, the things that are causing our nation such division. Brenda Salter McNeil is an African-American woman who for over 30 years, she has been an author and a speaker and presenting in the areas of racial, ethnic, and gender 
reconciliation. Her book, A Credible Witness, says that evangelism that only introduces people to Jesus is incomplete. The picture is much larger than that, she says. Christ's death and resurrection reconcile us to God and to each other across gender, race, and social lines. And lastly, Peter's story reminds us of God's heart for unity. And what does all of this have to do with George Floyd's death and all the resulting catalytic movement that we find ourselves in today? I'm just going to be super vulnerable with you right now. And I'm uncomfortable sharing this because I don't want to be judged by you. So I'm just going to lean in for a second and I'm going to state this. I didn't get it. I had no idea why Tawny, my best friend, was on this quest to learn more why she was reading books about reconciliation, why she was brokenhearted. I didn't understand why things were starting to shake up now with riots and protests when I thought our country had come a long way. And I didn't get my role and what I was supposed to do about it. Since that moment just a few weeks ago, I have felt uncomfortable, I have felt convicted, I have felt defensive at times, I have felt humbled, And if at any point during this message, you feel uncomfortable, I'm going to ask you to do what I'm doing right now and lean in to this discomfort because God has something for you here in it. In the past few weeks, this journey I've been on has led me to many meaningful conversations with people in our community. And honestly, I've again been uncomfortable. I've been humbled and I've realized I had no idea this is so much bigger than I thought and I'm still learning so much. I really don't even have the right words to communicate with you today. I'm not Brenda Salter McNeil who's been in this for over 30 years. How could I even talk about something this big? Maybe you're like me and you feel completely inadequate just to even engage in a conversation. Or maybe you do feel qualified because you live this every day. Well, we need your voice. We need you to speak out because we are listening. I'm still listening. I'm still learning. And my heart is still changing. When I was in seventh grade, I knew a girl named Sarah. I met her at youth group. And every time I would go to youth group, I would hear her giggling and then snorting because she always snorted along when she giggled. And it kind of annoyed me. And I thought she was just out to get the boy's attention. So one day, as I was just being nice to her and talking to her at youth group, she invited me over to her house for lunch. And I said, sure. I show up at her house. She lived with just her grandma in a trailer park. No idea who her parents even were. They had a very small house and she had a very small bedroom and we had lunch together. Later that afternoon, Sarah and I were hanging out in her bedroom together, and she said, hey, I have a bunch of clothes I was thinking of getting rid of. Do you want any? I was shocked, because looking around, it seemed like she had less than me, and yet she was offering me some of her prized possession, her spunky, bright-colored clothes. So that afternoon, we did like a fashion show, and she snorted and giggled all day, And you know, it started not to annoy me as much because I found her positivity rather enjoyable. After spending that afternoon with her, my perspective of Sarah changed because I was in her home. I spent time with her grandma. We had food together. Why did I form opinions about her 
prior to getting to know her. Let's pray. Jesus, would you come right now and be present? Would you bring us some discomfort that leads us into a heart transformation and give us steps of obedience that we need to follow because you are asking us to do it? So I pray that you would be present and you would be real in this moment tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight I want to share one man's journey into discomfort that changed his heart. This account is in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, following the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke, the doctor, wrote this book along with the book of Luke, and it takes an account of the early church, of the Christians and the believers, and how the early church was spreading. This book also talks about all the persecution that the early church was facing due to their belief in Jesus. There was this tension between Christ, the Christ followers, those who follow Jesus, and those who followed Caesar or government as their God. And then, of course, there was the dichotomy between the wealthy and those who were poor. These same tensions exist today. The same intimidation tactics are at force, and the same unbalanced rules are at play. Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, lived in this tension And I believe Peter, of all of the apostles, he probably struggled with this the most. As we read scripture, Peter would say, well, on the convicted side, right? So let's think back about Peter. One of my favorite stories is when Jesus is walking on water, Peter jumps out of the boat to walk on water just like Jesus. He immediately starts to sink and he has basically a panic attack right there on the top of the water. I identify with that. And then another story, right before Jesus was going to his death, Jesus says straight to Peter's face, before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me three times. And of course, Peter has a very big argument with Jesus about this, but sure enough, he did it. So Peter probably had some really strong opinions, and yet God chose him for this particular mission. Against the Roman Empire, against all the threats out there, Peter was emboldened to travel from town to town, sharing the message of Jesus. He, in fact, in a town called Joppa, right here, Peter raised a dead woman to life through the power of God's spirit. Good job, Peter. That was huge. Many Jewish people in Joppa became believers. So Peter stayed there for a while with a man named Simon. He was a leather worker who lived by the sea. God wanted Peter to meet somebody new, somebody totally different than him. So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius was a Roman army commander. He lived in Caesarea. As a point of reference, there's Caesarea compared to Joppa. Cornelius clearly wasn't Jewish as Peter was, and anyone not Jewish was considered a Gentile or other, another race. Yet Cornelius and his family did worship God. They were very generous with anyone in need. We see this in verses 2, 22, and 35, that he did not have to be a Jew in order to know God. In fact, it says the man who fears him 
is welcome to him. That means anybody can worship and know God, no matter what race you are. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, go with me. This is how I hear it. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as an offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Can you just imagine with me for one day praying and an angel appears and starts talking to you? Well, I think God speaks to us often today, but in whispers and in a still small voice. This happened to Cornelius. The angel tells Cornelius to send men to Joppa and bring back Peter. Cornelius did as the angel said. Who wouldn't? He called two servants and one of his soldiers and he sent them to Joppa to find Peter. Again, this is big. Because Cornelius was Roman, they did not mix. The Romans were the oppressors, the heavy hand, the wealthy, and the Jews were not. And I think we understand this. We don't naturally hang out with those we don't mix with. Continuing in Acts 10, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. So it's lunchtime the next day and Peter goes up on the roof to pray and he gets hungry. I get hungry when I pray too, especially at lunchtime. And he wanted something to eat. I think this part is sort of funny, but I love it because it reminds us that God uses our hunger for it to show us our need for him. And that's really the purpose of fasting. When we fast and we go without, it reminds us of our need for God. So Peter has a vision. Check it out. It's pretty wild. He's up on the roof and here's what happens. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. You see, Jewish people were forbidden to eat the meat of these kinds of animals, which were called unclean according to God's law in the Old Testament. Now, this is so big because it's Peter's way of life. Eating kosher is how Peter defines his identity. He is a very good Jew. He follows all the rules. He eats what he is supposed to eat, and he doesn't do anything he's not. He has a conviction. To give you a small connection, most North Americans have a conviction that eating cats and dogs is not the best idea. In fact, they are our furry friends and family. Yet imagine traveling to another country right now, and there's a few you can travel to, and cats and dogs is right on the menu. That's how Peter feels times 10. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. 
This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So what happened three times? Peter said, Lord, surely no. And God says, well, nothing's impure. Wait, Lord, you're not asking me to break the law, are you? Um, I can't be hearing this correctly. And God says, no, I am the law. It is okay. You can go ahead and eat. But wait, 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 wait. What I hear you saying, God, is that if I eat something that I have never eaten before, my perfect track record and always following the rules, my identity will totally be changed. What if God tells you to do something and you know it will cost you your reputation? What if God is asking you to do something that makes you totally uncomfortable? Well, lean into your discomfort. Lean into it. As you might imagine, Peter was probably really uncomfortable with this option. But more than that, he was weighing out the loss of his identity as a good Jew. I believe he struggled with this bit of pride and seeing himself as better than. Just then, just then, the men sent by Cornelius knocked on his door. The timing seems a little odd, right? Peter just has this vision with all kinds of animals on this sheet. And God says, it's totally okay to eat. And then now these guys show up at that moment, knocking on the door. We need to pay attention to moments like this in our lives. God is speaking to us. He's bringing us into a sense of discomfort and he wants to change our heart. Like right now, this moment, what do you need to pay attention to? Who is knocking? What do you hear? These guys knocked. God's spirit spoke. Peter let these guys in the house. The next day, Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa came along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his close relatives and friends. Just like it was forbidden for Jewish people to eat any of those types of meat, it was scandalous for a Jew to enter the home of a non-Jew. And now Cornelius has an entire crowd of people waiting for Peter, welcoming him into his home. At some point, Peter had to realize, God, I think I hear what you're telling me to do. And you want me to go in that door and be totally uncomfortable in somebody else's house. And his heart was starting to change as he walked through a different door. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people that he probably had very little in common with. We know they were serving up a big meal that Peter was totally unaccustomed to. He had never encountered it before. Perhaps it was interesting. Peter had to state the obvious in this most uncomfortable moment. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me I should not call anyone impure or unclean. I love that Peter says the obvious right here in this moment. He's basically stating it out for everybody to hear. Guys, God told me this and it's okay. Even though it's a little weird for me and it's a little weird for you, um, I think this is okay. I think Peter is just hilarious. Simon J. Kistemaker says, 
God taught Peter in his vision that God has removed the barriers he once erected to separate his people from the surrounding nations. Now there are no barriers, but just knowing there are no barriers is not enough. We have knowledge today of this civil rights movement. We have knowledge of segregation. We have knowledge of inequality and racial tension, but knowing is not enough. We have to go from knowing into obedience. Peter's conviction turns into obedience when he walks through that door. And now he's truly in this terribly awkward moment. Have you ever been there? I've been to some pretty uncommon places. The Himalayas in Nepal, in these little tiny huts, or the slums of India. It's really uncomfortable. And you can imagine an uncomfortable place, an uncommon place in your mind right now. But there's always something for you in that discomfort. Door number one, the first door was easy compared to door number two. Because door number one was Peter opening the door to Cornelius's guys and saying, come on in to my home with these other Jews. This was his turf. It was totally, you know, sort of okay. Door number two, that one's a lot more difficult because that's Peter entering somebody else's world. Peter going to somebody else's house. That was the full obedience that God was asking And now for the crux, Peter says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. This is Peter, the apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus, who grew up a Jew, and he's saying, just now he realizes? Wait, all those times when he was with Jesus and Jesus was doing miracles and healing people and talking about love, Peter didn't get it until now? Now when he's in Cornelius' home, now he gets it. Now he hears these words and he knows it. God does not show favoritism. God doesn't say because you're a Jew or you're a citizen of a certain country that you're better than another. He doesn't say because you're born to a certain social class or you have an allegiance to a particular political party or you have a certain gender that you are one up. He doesn't play favorites. He welcomes everyone. Everyone is equal. Whether you're black or white or Latino or Asian or Filipino, or you're a Jew, or you're a Gentile. We are all equal, and God sees all of us the same, and we ought to also see others in that same way. The Apostle John has this vision, speaking of seeing. This is what he sees. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe, and people and language standing in front of the throne, wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands. This is the gospel story. As I quoted at the beginning, McNeil says the gospel that only reconciles people to Jesus, that's only part of the picture. It has to reconcile us to others across racial, gender, social lines. This is the message that's for all the people, the message of Jesus. Peter shares this message with Cornelius and his household. 
how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, how he went around doing good and healing, and then they killed him by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. Peter taught that everyone who believes in Jesus has their sins forgiven, even the Romans that he was in the company of. This is what John 3:16 teaches. Say it out loud with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. To finish the story, this is incredible. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So then Peter baptizes Cornelius and his entire family and all his friends in the name of Jesus. Up to this point, nobody who was a Gentile had ever been baptized. It was Jews who had become Christians. Now, baptism is for everyone. Some of you have believed in Jesus. Some of you have taken that step to put your faith and your trust in him, but you've never taken the next step of being baptized. You can actually do that here at Crossroads Church right now, this week. Just text the word amen to 69922. Baptism is just simply a way for you to show others your commitment to Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of his death and his burial as you go beneath the water and his resurrection as you come out of the water. That is a picture of Jesus changing your heart. Peter stayed with Cornelius and his family for several days. His heart had totally changed. In fact, Cornelius and his family were the first recorded Gentiles to come who became Christians. God wants to change your heart. Today, God wants to change your heart. I opened today sharing about a speaker and author named Brenda Salter McNeil who I actually had the privilege of hearing at a conference in 2017 called Uncommon Fellowship, the kind of fellowship that Peter had with Cornelius and his family. Today, I believe that God is asking us as a church to wake up, to shift our perspective and to do something that is uncomfortable. Watch with me just a snapshot of this video. Here's what I want you to know. In every generation, this just happens to be our moment, there is seismic cultural shifts that happen to wake us up. I call them catalytic events in the book I wrote that's called Roadmap to Reconciliation because I've been trying to wonder how do we get along? If it is true that Jesus has destroyed all that divides us, why are we so divided? So I've been struggling to understand that and articulate that. And I'm beginning to understand that we tend to stay in our own silos unless something shakes us out of them. They're catalytic moments. And whether we like the Black Lives Matter movement or not, it is hard to dispute that it was a catalytic event in our time. That it got our national and global attention. When I was in Ferguson, I met a woman from Palestine. I was shocked 
that people all around the world are watching us and wondering how we'll respond to the unrest and the injustice that's around us. I believe these are wake-up calls, my brothers and my sisters, I really do. I believe these catalytic events are supposed to push us out of our comfort zones. So if you're feeling uncomfortable, remember, uncommon fellowship is uncommon because it's uncomfortable. So if you're feeling uncomfortable even in this talk, hallelujah, glory be unto God. Let the discomfort begin. Because these catalytic, uncomfortable moments force us to recognize that we cannot continue to do business as usual. And that they push us out to discover new methods, new ways forward. They make us ask new questions. Amen. They make us search for new strategies and new paradigms and new ways of being the people of God. Preach it, Brenda. I love it. I love that she says uncommon fellowship is uncomfortable. And that's what we need to be as the people of God. We need to be out of our comfort zone. It's beautiful. What discomfort do you feel today? What discomfort is stirring inside of your heart? Do you believe in this unity? Do you believe that we want to be united with our brothers and sisters? My encouragement to you is to lean into this discomfort and have conversations. I'm telling you, I was defensive at first and maybe not outwardly, but inside my spirit I was and I was pushing against it and I was uncomfortable and I leaned into it. Because God has something for me and God has something for you in these conversations. If you have no idea where to start, there's an amazing website called Be The Bridge. It's just simply bethebridge.com. They have 1,600 groups and this incredible online community that you can have a collective conversation about racial reconciliation. Just step into something. What discomfort are you feeling today? Who is at your door knocking? Who is at your door knocking? I believe you have a picture in your mind right now of somebody who is at your door who you need to open the door for. And maybe at some point you've tried to open the door and then you've been hurt and you shut the door again. Perhaps you've even put a deadbolt on your door. And you've said, no, I am not opening my door again to any kind of pain or discomfort or getting out of my reality, my identity. Think of Peter and him opening his door. Maybe you need to open your door to somebody who has marginalized you, who has treated you unfairly, who has been unkind to you. Or maybe you need to open your door to somebody you have marginalized, who you have treated unfairly, who you have been unkind to. Who is that person? I want you to picture them in your mind, and I want you to ask God for the courage to open your door today. And thirdly, whose door are you supposed to enter? Again, this one I think is the most difficult one 
You need to be bold. You need to enter someone else's world. God is calling you to make a move in the area of biblical reconciliation, but you're afraid to go into their home because you know it's a journey and it's gonna cost you something. Peter traveled for a whole day to get to Cornelius's home. And then when he went into his home, he spent time there. He was there several days. He ate with his family. He slept there. He had conversations. He spent time. He let the scales of the Jewishness go from himself. And he said, I am entering into the Roman world. I am going into another unlike me. This had to be so difficult for him to let everything go and lean into that and go into somebody else's home. It may not be a real home, but it might be a real home that you need to go into. And you need to find what does God have for you there because it's something big and it's something important and he's placing it on your heart right now. I can sense it. Are you ready for a change of heart? God wants to change your heart. He wants to change your heart today. Maybe you're like Peter before and you just don't get it. And maybe that's you. And I'm gonna pray for you in a minute and that's okay. I don't want there to be shame there. I don't want there to be any negative thoughts there because Peter, an apostle of Jesus, he didn't get it. And me, I'm just starting to get it. I'm just starting on this journey. But I want you to say, now I see, now I see God does not show favoritism and I'm gonna pray that over you. Or maybe your heart is so primed and so ready for obedience that you're ready to bust the door open into somebody else's world and your heart is poised and ready to do that. And I'm gonna pray for you in a minute as well. Because God has been talking to you, he's been whispering, You've had conversations with people. You felt maybe emotional about things. You've, you've had all these feels come out and you haven't known what to do with them, but now you know. God is calling you into obedience because he is changing your heart. He's been working on it. He's been molding it. Keep taking in the information, keep learning, keep growing and keep shifting towards obedience, towards where God is calling you today. And for some of you, I know there are people there watching right now who you've shut the door of your heart to Jesus. And you've shut the door so hard because you've blocked him out. And you've said, Jesus, I've heard your voice before, but I don't want it. I don't want you in my heart. Yet he's standing there at the door and he longs for you to invite him in. He's been waiting there all along, even though you've been in your home all by yourself, and you're lonely, perhaps even depressed. And you've said, Jesus, I'm not good enough. You couldn't want somebody like me. I'm miserable. And Jesus is saying, I love you. I love you so very much. I died on the cross to save you. And if that's you, Right now or at any point in the next few minutes, you can text the word amen to 69922. Text the word amen to 69922 and somebody 
will follow up with you and talk to you and process with you. So in a minute, I'm gonna go to pray, but I'm gonna ask all of you right now to pray. And I'm gonna ask you to pray that the Holy Spirit would move in all of our hearts. Whether you're the person who just doesn't get it, the one who says, I'm ready for obedience and I'm poised, I just don't know what step to take and I'm nervous and I need some courage. Or you're the one who says, I have shut the door of my heart and locked it tight, but I think Jesus is asking me to open it and he wants a relationship with me today. Let's all pray in unity together for these things. Jesus, we thank you for this message that you long to change our heart. I pray right now for the one who doesn't get it. I ask that you would tenderly touch their heart and that you would open their mind to something new and that you would let their heart soften. Jesus, we need it. We need to be softened. And Jesus, for those who wanna step out in obedience and we wanna claim that we wanna be part of the solution. We say by faith, we're going to be uncomfortable. We're going to step into something that's unknown, that's new, that's scary, that's gonna cost us something. Perhaps our reputation and our identity and we leave it at your feet today, Jesus. And for those of you who need to open the door of your heart to Jesus, would you pray with me right now? Jesus, I open the door of my heart to you. I am sorry for the bad things I have done. I'm sorry for my sinful thoughts and behaviors. Please change my heart. Make my heart of stone soft, remove the heart of stone and replace it with your heart. I invite you to be my friend forever. And I want a relationship with you. In Jesus name, amen. And amen if you prayed that prayer, amen. You can just go ahead and text the word amen to 69922 right now. And I'm just going to share that God is doing something right now. Right now, I can sense that the spirit is moving at Crossroads and all the people who are watching and listening. We love you. You're a part of our family. And I would like to just say a blessing over you as we close this evening. As you go this week, may you experience discomfort that leads your heart into a change and makes you obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congratulations to all of you who made a decision to follow Jesus today. We are celebrating with you. And if you texted us about making the decision, make sure that you reply with your name so that we can get a gift to you. And 
We want to invite you next week to join us. Be part of the Crossroads family. We go live every Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss out on any of the new messages that we have coming out. And if this message was encouraging for you, make sure that you click the like button and let us know what resonated with you in the comments. And if at any point during the message you thought to yourself, I wish so-and-so was watching this. Click the share button and send it to that person so they can be encouraged as well. And finally, if you have been impacted by Crossroads and you wanna be part of the impact that is happening all around the world, you can text the word giving to 699-22 to give a financial gift today. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.